the group pyramids on mars how about that and that's uh we're going to be talking uh, tonight to the uh, uh gosh how would you what, what would you call i mean this this guy i mean he is the creative pyramids on the mars. creative force yes that's right the the the, the creative force behind pyramids yeah. on mars and uh, i like the music and uh, we should uh, have uh, just really an excellent show tonight because i mean we're covering some of my favorite topics, rock and roll music, UFOs, and uh, who knows what else. Well, I'm Tim Swartz. You are listening to The Outer Edge. With me is Mike Mont. Mike, uh, what's going on tonight? Oh, man, just uh, trying to rest before the big week gets started this week. I'm always, I'm always busy during the week, so we'll uh, trying to get some rest this weekend. You know, I had to get my taxes done this weekend. and There's always something. You know how it is. Oh, yeah, well... You know, fortunately, uh, my wife is just the type of person that as soon as she possibly can, she gets our taxes done and, and submitted and out of the way. None of that running around on April, you know, yeah, yeah, waiting to the exactly. last minute to, you know, throw the envelope through the closing doors of the post office. <laughs> well, you know, if we didn't waste so much money on uh, giving money away to the rest of the world, we wouldn't have so many problems with our own. A tax system. No, no, it, 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 it just it just always reminds me of uh, there, there's an episode of The Simpsons where uh, uh, it's it's April fifteenth and you know Marge asked Homer you know if he had uh, when when he uh, turned the taxes in and he goes oh I don't have to do that I did that last year his daughter, <laughs> his daughter is like uh, Dad you have to do that every year he's like ah what did somebody tell me <laughs> <laughs> well you know the thing is that. Uh, I mean, I'm a big believer in in the flat tax. I believe that we had, if we had some kind of flat tax system, or even a national sales tax system, and that was it, mm-hmm. we would have a surplus of money, and all the aggravation would be gone. But people don't want to do that because they get money back that they actually didn't put in. A lot of people do. So, oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, oh, there's a lot of people use it as a savings account, basically. Yeah. 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 I mean, kind of, you know, kind of a. Uh, uh, I hate to say poor man's savings account, but that's what it is. You know, <laughs> the poor man's savings account. It's the only way that they can uh, that they can save any money is by overpaying, you know, from their paychecks every week, and then you know, getting that getting that little bit of money back, and then blowing it all in a couple of weeks. Yeah, that, yeah, 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 a couple of weeks, but a couple of days probably. <laughs> yeah, most likely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, Mike, have you seen? This story about the uh, the weird high pitched noise that's keeping this Oregon town uh, awake at night. 
Yeah, I've seen a couple different stories about that and, and went and listened to uh, some different recordings of it. And honestly, it doesn't sound that strange to me. Okay. What does it sound like to you? Well, it sounds, having raised kids and had, having had kids that went to, had to elementary and middle school music classes, it sounds like a plastic recorder that kids are required to buy and use in music class. So kind of like a beginner flute thing. It sounds just like a plastic report recorder that somebody's just blowing a long note in. Really, Those things are really loud, okay? And so, uh, honestly, that's what it sounds like to me. I hate, I hate to say it's not the aliens or the, or the subterrestrials or the, the uh, ultra-terrestrials or, you know, whatever, but sorry, I think it's some kid uh, with a plastic recorder. <laughs> I really do. Out, so. in the, out in the middle of the night bugging everybody. Yeah, out bugging somebody, everybody, <laughs> yeah. I mean, sure. Now, you know, and I, I have to admit, you know, now, now that you say that, the recordings that I've heard, you're right. It does sound like a, a, a recorder. Yeah, it uh, does. Because you're right. I mean, yeah, we used to, uh, we used to torture our parents, right, with, with those when I was a kid. <laughs> and having been tortured with them myself, I, I recognized <laughs> the sound as soon as I heard. Especially having a kid, you know, that was supposed to practice. Mm-hmm. Tooting on that thing, it's, you know, it's like fingernails on the chalkboard, you know. So, uh, yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. Well, I'm surprised if that's the case. Then that uh, they've been having trouble, you know, uh, locating where it's coming from. But then again, I mean, it happens at night. And <laughs> a kid can walk around too, you know. Oh yeah. Blow on it, and then move somewhere else and blow on it again. Oh my gosh! If that, you know, if I yeah. if I found a kid of mine was doing something like that. Yeah, they they would have a hard time retrieving. Well, said it just could be some, <laughs> yeah, it could be just a deranged person, you know, with a with a flute or a clarinet or a recorder. You know, it doesn't doesn't have to be a kid; it could just be a jerk. So mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. well, stranger things have happened. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, not every not everything is some great paranormal mystery. You know what I mean? Oh sure. Oh well, I mean it's uh, um, that's. That's why I love all this stuff, you know, is, is, uh, is, you know, it's, uh, I love researching and I love investigating. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, uh, while it's always fun that it's a mystery, I mean, it's also fun when you can actually find out what's, what's going on, just as long as it's, it is provable, you know. Uh, Yeah. uh, What I, what I hate are the, the, the armchair skeptics. Who will jump on something and say, "Yes, that's it. It's proven." You know, and they, you, you, you mean, know. But when you say skeptics, you mean the automatic debunkers with no oh, yes. real knowledge. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. You know, I mean, those who just, yeah. You know, well, I mean, you know, we've seen that. You know, within the UFO community, where uh, the thing that I could, that pops into my mind right now was the uh, uh, triangle flying triangle sightings over the East Coast in the early 1980s. And uh, at what at one point, somebody came up and said that uh, there had been a, a, an airplane flying around at night that was uh, carrying a banner that lit up at night. You know, like you know, I think it was like for Kentucky Fried Chicken or for yeah, or some kind of local you know chicken place. And yeah. every all the newspapers seized on that. And that was it. I mean, any other reports that came in, doesn't matter where they came from up and down the East Coast, 
that the explanation was that it was you know an airplane flying around with a banner on it even though this uh this advertising plane only flew one night right right yeah. sure that's that's the general way it always works you know it's just like the old uh swamp gas canard you know, mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. one time somebody hypothesized in idiotic fashion that something was swamp gas therefore every time something was seen there were certain elements that would say swamp gas, no matter what, you know. <laughs> it had blinking lights and wheels, and it knocked the top off of my barn, but it was swamp gas. <laughs> it's always swamp gas. Yeah. I, re- I remember an old cartoon, probably, I think it was like from uh, True Magazine, that uh, showed a, a, a flying saucer with... Uh, uh, clearly visible aliens, you know, underneath the uh, transparent dome, and they had uh, uh, scrawled on the side of their craft swamp gas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, this uh, the the story about the uh, the the organ noise. I mean, it reminds me also. Now, uh, Micah Hanks just recently submitted an article to uh, the Mysterious Universe website, uh, and the article dealt with. Um, mysterious um, engine-like noises from uh, that, that, that seem to be coming from underground. And, you know, I remember uh, right. John Keel reading, uh, I think it was from his book, Our Haunted Planet, uh, writing about uh, a number of locations all across the country that uh, have had similar experiences. You know, sometimes right. you know, it would just be, you know, like... It, it, it would occur for just a couple of days and then mysteriously disappear. Other places, it would persist for weeks. Well, you know, the interesting thing is some of this stuff goes back for centuries. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there were you know there was a story out of England that several people have reported on uh, back in the 1700s or so where someone uh, heard something similar and encountered a guy or an entity or whatever in long robes in a chamber beneath a field or something that but you know are these secret society people or are these uh, subterrestrials you know some sort of hidden humanoids breakaway civilization and then we have our own government you know our own government has been building these things at least since world war ii and the, these vast tunnel systems using the uh, um the subterrane which is a an atomic powered tunneling device that actually melts the rock, superheats the rock, vaporizes it, and leaves a smooth glass-like tunnel as it travels along. And this is not a theory. This is a fact. These things exist. So, you know, if they've been, you know, creating an underground tunnel system for national defense or or in preparation for something something that they know is coming in terms of a, a disaster, that would explain a lot of these types of noises, I think. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, um... It's uh, it's it's also been part of the whole, you know, Richard Shaver Dero mythology. Yes, uh, it has um, the uh, and and uh, uh, gosh, I can't remember. It may have been the the writer now known as Branton, uh, who wrote yeah. for the uh, the Hollow Hassel newsletter, uh, reported a number of incidents. Uh, especially out west, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, which I mean, you know, makes sense if we are actually, you know, talking about the, uh, you know, the the military building these underground bases. But like you said, some of the stories that he reported on, 
people were uh, were were hearing these types of noises long before that sort of technology, at least as far as we know, existed. I mean, yes, I mean, they, were, they had been. Like the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, right. that sort of thing. Right, So we could have several several different things going on. We could have, you know, these breakaway civilizations from a long time ago, uh, you know, subterranean uh, civilizations that have been here for a very long time, and then, we, then, our, then our own government getting involved. And that's basically what Richard Sauter has said in his research is that, you know, that, that we have our domes, our deep underground military bases, and then there are other bases that are not ours and other civilizations that are basically hidden within the crust and that our, our governments know about these things. And uh, there have been conflicts at times, according to him, conflicts and partnerships. So, you know, who knows? Hmm. Well, now, haven't you uh, haven't you said before that uh, I mean you've had uh, the similar experiences yourself? Well, when I was a teenager, my mom and I, in particular, used to hear these deep underground sounds, and we would actually go outside and stand. Um, and this is in the, in the countryside. We would go and stand outside at night because you could hear it and feel it in your feet, like a very deep thrumming, rumbling, and it. Uh, it I mean, it sounded like a machine sounded and felt like a big machine and so you have to wonder you know if there's not some sort of tunneling going on that 100 feet down 200 feet down 300 feet down and, and you'll never know about it you know you'll never have a clue there may not be any exit it may go from military installation to military installation whatever it is you'll never know about it hmm, that's interesting and, and this would happen uh during the daytime it was usually at night usually at night huh okay yeah yeah, like at you know nine thirty, ten o'clock, eleven o'clock at night. Which you this was this this would have been back in the late seventies, by the right. way. So hasn't not since then. So, huh? Which you would think that if you were conducting that kind of activity, you wouldn't do it at night because I would think that the sound would travel better at night. Yeah, but then again, you know, people are going to be in bed; they're not going to be outdoors as much, or they're going to you know they're not going to be outside running around. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. Well, so. once, yeah. Well, once again, I mean, if if we're if we're talking about you know like uh, human construction going on underground, you know, but but maybe it is the Deros. Maybe Richard Sugar was right. <laughs> yeah, could be. You know, who knows? Who knows what's doing it? It does sound mechanical, and it does seem like uh, there's something going on. It doesn't sound like tectonics. Hmm. It's a it's a steady vibrational uh, sort of a roar, a grumble that just goes it, it seems to sort of thrum at least the one that we used to hear did and that would have been back in like you know 78 79 so right well i mean as uh mississippi is not really known for uh earthquakes or seismic activity or at least not no. not major no. no but it's a very a, a big part of the states it's on a very stable limestone shelf oh and yeah. which goes all the way back to like you know I mean, way back to, you know, the Jurassic. I mean, very stable, old seafloor, really. So, who knows? I mean, it'd be perfect for tunneling, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, just uh, uh, as for the uh, the strange sound in, in Oregon, I'm going to uh, uh, keep my eyes on the local newspapers to see if they uh, if they end up arresting. <laughs> you watch. It'll be, it'll be something... Uh, Blowing, blowing a musical instrument, I guarantee you. Because that's what it sounds like. Huh. 
Okay, well, we'll have to see. All right, well, Mike, let's uh, um, let's go ahead and take our break here, and when we come back, we will have Kevin Estrella. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'll have to ask him before we come back <laughs> if I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, of uh, uh, Pyramids on Mars. We're going to talk about rock and roll music, uh, his UFO experiences, and uh, hopefully a whole lot more. So stay tuned. We will be right back in just a few minutes. Conspiracy Journal is your number one source for the hidden world of the weird and strange. We bring you thought-provoking and controversial material for free-thinking individuals who are seeking what is really going on in our world today. Some of this material may adversely affect you. Other pieces are meant to enlighten. Either way, be prepared to be intrigued by such things as the reality of UFOs, ghosts, strange creatures from time and space, hidden conspiracies, time travel, Nikola Tesla, suppressed technology, and a whole lot more. You can find out more by visiting our website at conspiracyjournal.com. There you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter sent directly to your email address. You can also receive our free print catalog. Just send your name and mailing address to Mr. UFO 8 at hotmail.com. I'll spell that out for you. M-R-U-F-O, the number 8, at hotmail.com. Mr. UFO 8 at hotmail.com. Find out what they don't want you to know. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with Key Information Solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let Key Information Solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374 That's 954-973-3374 Or visit keyinformation.com TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application Mobile Talk Radio Imagine having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go You'll be surprised how easy it is to use So I think what's going on here is that Obama is banking on unemployment falling. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. 
Talk Stream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. You're listening to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz, only on PSN Radio. This is Mike Mott here with Tim Schwartz. As usual, it is now February the 29th, leap year February, that weird out-of-the-box day. If you're born today, you'll have a birthday every four years, so uh, that's something to think about. You can actually claim you're really, really young when you're actually uh, an older cat like me. Um, anyway, here we are. We're joined by our special guest, Kevin Australia. Or Estrella. How do you want us to say it, Kevin? Estrella. Estrella. And, uh, Kevin's a very talented musician, um, a really incredible musician, actually, and, uh, um, has some interest in UFOs and other matters, has had a few experiences, and, uh, has a group called Pyramids on Mars. And, Kevin, I was listening to some of your music before the show, and it's really fascinating stuff. I mean, um, I'm a big Satriani and, and, uh, Vi fan, especially Satriani, so there's definitely some, some, uh, stylistic similarities there. Yes, I, um, I, uh, Satriani is a huge influence on me. Um, and that's when I really did, you know, when I, it was back in 1987 when my friend, uh, you know, we were in homeroom class in, in high school and he, um, had his tape player there and had Satriani uh, surfing with the alien and not of this earth. And he said, you gotta check this guy out. And when I listened to, you know, listening to surfing with the alien, I was just completely blown away and, yeah. uh, what, what he was doing and I was so excited. And I realized that's what I wanted to do, you know, be able to play. I want to play like him. 
So thus began, uh, you know, many years of woodshedding and, and learning how to play like him. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. But your stuff is still somewhat distinctive. I mean, it sounds like, uh, it's got a very distinct sound to it. It does. Um, my, um, I mean, um, my stylistically, um, you know, Saturani is, is the style, you know, style of music that I play. And it took me years to learn how to, you know, write melodies. Um, and that's that, you know, that takes a lot of dedication and talent and understanding how to do that, uh, so that you're not sound like you're just soloing all the time. You know, there's a real, yeah. real art to creating melodies and they spent years studying it. But right. my, my, like the difference between Saturani and myself is he's more of a blues influenced player. Yeah. Me, and I'm more, uh, metal influenced and, um, cl- like I come from the, um, the classical school, um, the classical and neoclassical. So like basically the school of Ingve Malmsteen. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. So I studied, I actually studied Malmsteen straight for two years where I listened to him like for probably three hours a day, every day, and just studied nothing but then listened to nothing else but his music to really dive into understanding how he thinks. Um, you know, not, you know, somebody, somebody went asked, actually I was on a radio show a couple of days ago and they asked, did you, have you learned all his stuff? And I said, no, that's not what I'm, what I'm doing. I'm not learning his, you know, play his music note for note. I'm learning about how he thinks, learning his 50 bag of tricks, how he writes the chord progressions, understanding the, you know, the, the classical theory behind what he's doing. And so I yeah. spent two years doing that, but I didn't want to be another Malmsteen clone i wanted to um you know i wanted to be myself so i thought okay if i want to you know really understand malmstein i need to go back to his influences because that you know because where he was getting his inspiration from and that's when i dove and that's when i discovered bach and vivaldi and then everything changed everything well you know eddie van halen was majorly uh, inspired and influenced by bach mm-hmm. oh yeah i didn't know that mm-hmm. oh yeah he he actually trained as a, a classical pianist growing up his dad was a, a music teacher oh wow and, uh, so before he even picked up the guitar he was already playing classical piano nice yeah nice hmm. yeah and then that yeah that's that's what changed my life was um listening to bach and it was like hearing music for the first time because of how um, he's still like the greatest composer today and um, trying to understand everything that he's, you know, how he writes his music is three dimensional. And so I, you know, I really, you know, I listen mostly to stuff to Bach and Vivaldi and, um, and try and under, you know, I play the guitar more like a violin and that's how I hear the guitar. So I'm playing violin melodies on the guitar and also harpsichord melodies on the guitar. That's what really inspires me. So that's that's where the real difference is between Saturani and myself, I would say. Well, you know, I, I, I love the idea that that you you attribute a lot of your, your influence from the, the, the classic artist. Uh, because, you know, I've I've seen a number of musicians who will just completely disavow, you know, any influence past the middle 20th century <laughs> but yeah. i mean you know it's it's you really i mean uh, there there is so much that we owe to these uh, uh you know early classical musicians and this you know they i, I just I, they don't get enough lip service in my opinion i completely agree with you and that's the reason why i, I you know purposely decided to sway away from listening to 
mostly metal, you know, metal and, and, and bands, you know, and rock music because it's so, what's it like? It's like a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. <laughs> and guitar players sound like guitar players. And that's what drives me crazy is because they all sound like guitar players. Yeah. I want it to sound like something different. And that's what I heard in, in Malmsteen's playing because he plays his guitar sounds more like a violin. And his, the, his you know, vibrato, um, his picking technique the, with the, you know, the three, you know, the, the scalar symmetrical scales he uses, it all sounded different. And that's what I really liked about it. And so um, that's why I wanted to sway away from guitar players and listen to violin and harpsichord. And that's what the beauty of, of what, you know, what these instruments are playing. That's why I love Vivaldi so much is because the, the melodies on the violin are just incredible. Mm-hmm. And these patterns like, you know, like one, four, three, four, you know, two, four, three, four, little patterns that, that dance and, and, and really are like earworms. And that's what I wanted to bring back to music. You know, these guys were geniuses and people are just missing the point of the ball. It's like, how can you like, these guys were better, ten times better than any musician today, but people aren't, you know, so only a small portion of the population actually are, you know, picking up and listening to it. And then when they do, they're like, my God, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, it is. And these guys were doing it 300 years ago. <laughs> uh, well, you know, there's something about, to me, there's something about the violin that uh, when it's done correctly, it's... I don't know. I mean, it's 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 difficult to put into words. Maybe you know, maybe it's impossible to put into words. It's spiritual. Yes, yes, that's, that's you know, you get you hear it right. It 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 seems like it just goes through you, and mm-hmm. and resonates. You know, with with your own personal uh, vibration, so to speak. I mean, I, I know that doesn't make sense, but uh, it makes a, it makes complete sense, and that's that's a reason that's the reason why I'm here is to talk about this because uh, there's a lot of revelations that have come to me, um, and I'll be getting into them um, because I've been told um, I've been told why I was contacted mm. um, through other through other sources because I, I'm friends with a couple alien hybrids and they've they've talked. They've been, they've been getting messages. So when when you say you're friends with alien hybrids, I mean, how do you know for sure that they're actually alien hybrids? Well, I don't know for sure, but I mean, so I can't. Well, actually, one yes, one for sure has already been proven. It was found in his blood. He's actually an Anunnaki hybrid. So and, so I mean I mean what what's the, how do they prove this? What do they what do they have in their blood that supposedly proves they're not totally human? Well, I don't know, but. Um, um, if you uh, if you if you do some research on Michael Lee Hill, um, mm. you'll you know you'll be able to find out you know his story and what happened with him because you know they he was he he was on UFO Hunters and they, they even on the one of the main the biggest shows um, mm. they actually are, are taking his blood because he had many UFO sightings but they wanted to check his blood and what they found in it was an anomaly that they didn't understand. However, Lockheed Martin knew exactly what it meant. And they realized that he was actually an Anunnaki hybrid and put him into this special program. I remember that episode, right? Okay. Um, uh, is, he, uh, is he Canadian? I I don't know if he's Canadian. Um, I'm trying to try I know to he, lives, he lives near Lake Erie. That's it. That's it. Okay. Gotcha. I, I knew it was somewhere up in the uh, uh, either the northern United States or yes. uh, lower, lower Canada. Well, now, um, has... Um, have you always been interested in music? I mean, when you were uh, uh, when you were a kid, I mean, as far back as you can remember, did you like you know I I want to do this? I want to play music. 
it was um, I, I started learning guitar when I was ten years old, and you know started in, in group lessons learning like folk music. But it was uh, it, it was it was when my cousin turned my brother and I on to Rush that I really started to take my guitar playing seriously. Right. And mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and so then um, I I basically had to learn everything from Rush, and so you know. I remember getting this book called Rush Complete, and it was all their albums from you know the first album up to Signals because that's just, you know, yeah. that's what I started listening, and then I learned everything. So and Alex Lifeson was your first big guitar influence. influence. Yes, cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and so then we learned everything from Rush that we could, and my brother he switched over to bass uh, after after watching the um, Grace Under Pressure concert live concert that that, that inspired right. him to become a bass player. Yeah, and I've then, seen Rush a couple times. You know, it's amazing to watch Geddy Lee. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy's playing keyboards, bass, and singing lead all at the same time. It's pretty amazing. You know, what's even more amazing is to so, watch me is to watch me watch a Rush video and watch me air guitar, drums, bass, keyboards all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so, is your brother in the band with you? He, yes, he is. Yes, he plays uh, bass when we when we do live shows. Yeah, well, that's cool. Yeah, so. Yeah, so um, yeah, that's that's you know, we we were in many bands over the years, um, but the, the, those bands ended up falling apart, and then it was, um, um, you know, but it was 2011 when I decided that I wanted to uh, create, you know, to start my solo project, and I had reserved the name Pyramids on Mars about you know two or three years before my solo project, um, because I you know was um, it was a song by Virgil Donati, who's this drummer from Australia. And he had this song called Pyramids on Mars. And I already knew that they were pyramids on Mars with the DMM pyramids and, and you know, in the Cydonia region and other anomalies on Mars. So I thought that would be the perfect name for my project because I wanted, purposely, and the intent was to marry instrumental rock music with um, raising awareness and, and raising, you know, um, consciousness of people with the alien presence. And so I, you know, I started that in 2011 and then it was 2014 where they basically let their intentions know that they that is what they wanted me to be doing too <laughs> when they contacted me. And then everything just went, you know, went my life has completely changed since that, you know, since that time. So when they contacted you, was it was it auditory or or, or what? It was visual. It was um, well, I guess I can dive into the story now and, and yeah, tell go the for tale. It. Yeah. So it was. Um, um, it was August 11th. No, it was, it was August 21st, 2014, 10:30 p.m. I uh, step onto my deck here in Hamilton, Ontario, and uh, my my deck faces towards the south. And within probably seven seconds of me stepping onto my deck, to my right, uh, where my neighbors are, because I live in a suburban area, they have this big tree, and then this this object appears to start to come from behind the tree. And at first, I thought it was a meteor because it was um, orange and red, and it looked like it was on fire. You could see the stuff you know, streaming off it, tailing off it. Looked like it was like um, you know burning, you know, burning up. But it was it was moving at the speed of like a helicopter. It was really slow. So I thought, oh, this is not a meteor. Nothing goes that slow. And then when it finally came to my full view, that's when I realized, wait a second, this thing is a disc. Hmm. It was a perfect disc. Um, you know, symmetrical from the top to the bottom, all the way around, and you know, just curved up and then and then around the back. Beautiful. And I was you know, looking at looking at the side view, 
And it was probably only a thousand feet away and maybe 1200 feet up in the air. And it was, it was moving very slow, just, you know, um, just, just across from my left to my right, right across the distance of my backyard. And, um, I didn't know what I was looking at. I had no idea what I was looking at. I didn't say, Oh, there's a UFO. No, I didn't know what I was looking at because yeah. it appeared in a way that I've never seen anything either in a movie or whether I've seen it in a YouTube video. Nothing can describe what it was that I saw that night. Right. It took me six months to piece all the pieces together to really comprehend everything that I was looking at. Cause here, here's a crazy thing about it. What I finally realized that I was making it give that um, that um, fire look or that you know that hate that um, sw- swirlingness look that was kind of streaming off the back of it and around it, uh, surrounding it was plasma. Mm-hmm. It was re- it was covered in plasma. This this disc. Yeah. So that's that's what I finally realized. But then the other thing was, um, you know, for two weeks after I saw my setting, I was wrestling with it, trying to think there's something else about that object that was that was really out of place. It was really odd about it, and I finally realized what it was. It was two-dimensional. Hmm. Two-dimensional. Hmm. Hmm. And what I mean by that is that it looked like a solar eclipse. So like a solar eclipse looks like a hole in the sky. You know, it yeah. has height, it has width, but it has no depth. It just looks like a hole. That's what this thing looked like. It looked like a hole in the sky. It was incredible. It would look like orange and red tie-dye, hole in the sky, two-dimensional, moving across my backyard. It moved the exact distance of my backyard, and then it made its way south towards uh, Benbrook. But then it started to appear differently in its appearance as it was moving away, and its tail was more towards, you know, I was seeing more of its tail. And the object itself started to appear darker and darker and darker in appearance to I realized that it, 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 it itself was radiating no light at all. It was black. But what was happening was as it was moving in a way, it appeared that there was more and more of this white swirling vortex that was appearing more coming from the front and surrounding it. Um, like almost like an umbrella-like thing. It was swirling. Right. Like, swirling or like a corona of some kind. Something. Like, 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 almost like a, almost like a, like a, like a vortex or like a, sorry, a, um, a portal. But it wasn't like a portal. Like the effect it was having on our, our, dimension basically i think it was yeah it was something like that yeah yeah it must yeah it must have been or maybe the i mean that was maybe that was the thing that was giving it that plasma look it was really strange and um that's an important uh point to my sighting and i'll get into that a little bit later on as to the significance of of why it looked you know when i when i described it as it was so after it disappeared and went i um you know i immediately filed a report with mufon and they they took my uh, took my report, and then I never heard back from them. Never heard back from them at all. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was almost a year afterwards. It was around June when um, I was uh, I was informed that there was a uh, it was the Alien Cosmic Exhibition going on in Brantford, Ontario. And so I decided to go online, and you know I, I realized it was like basically you know top ufologists were you know giving presentations at this thing, and it was going to be all done by pay per view. And when I went on and saw, you know, Stanton Freeman was there, I kind of freaked out, thinking, oh, my God, you know, if Stanton Freeman's going to be there, this is really cool. And then I saw, I think his name is John Lear, um, the yes. former Canadian um, Ministry of Defense. He was there, too. And then uh, I saw Grant Cameron. And when I saw what his presentation was on, my jaw just dropped, and I was just shocked. 
like it went white and it said aliens musicians and the connection and how aliens are contacting musicians to raise awareness and consciousness and i'm like oh my god this is all about me this is about me this is not yeah. this is not a coincidence i'm supposed to meet him i'm supposed to go to him and this is the thing there's a synchronicity that just happened right there and i'm telling you guys synchronicity is happening so much now for me there are so many things that are happening synchronicity wise that i i have to be very aware because they're telling me things they're mm-hmm. they're still they're still communicating with me and these and these these synchronicities are happening and as grant has described it it's like being like breadcrumbs being dropped and you are picking up the pieces and starting to piece things together and they move people around like chess games where you're supposed to interact with this person you're supposed to interact with this person you're supposed to interact with this person and this is how they this is how they this is how they can communicate to us and this is what's happening to me ever since you know I I met Grant Cameron so I go and meet him and um I you know I I walk up to him and I hand him my my CD Pyramids on Mars, and he looks at it, and he looks up at me, and says, "We got to talk." I'm like, "Yeah, we do." <laughs> <laughs> so, so then I see his presentation, and it just, you know, is amazing how he's talking about consciousness and oneness, and about the left brain and the right brain, and how um, spirituality, ESP, and 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 oneness is with you know the creative side of the brain, um, and and we're downloads. You know how people are getting downloading downloads and you know, musicians are getting downloads and music is coming seems to come from an alternate you know um other source and i was i was really picking up on this because this is exactly what i've been experiencing because most of the time i don't feel like i'm even writing my own music i feel like i'm channeling like i'm tapping into a universe and the music is coming into me and i'm just i'm just uh, it's just flowing through me and i and i create that way and so um it made a lot of sense to me what I, what he was talking about, and I was really able to relate to it. And okay, we're going to go with this. And so then, um, after his presentation, I went next door to, uh, and, I, and there was a bunch of tables set up, you know, put different uh, booths and stuff. And I saw Mufon was there, and I saw Stu Bundy was there, who had taken my report. And so I just casually walk up to them, and um, I had drawn pictures of my UFO sighting. Um, you know, I drew a picture in my backyard with the craft, and they also drew another picture that was a much closer picture of what the craft looked like. And so then I just, you know, casually put my pictures on on their table. And he turns around, looks at the pictures, his eyes go bright, and he looks up at me and says, "Oh my God, I'm so glad you're here. We're doing a presentation on you tomorrow." Oh, nice of him to let you know beforehand. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "What?" <laughs> He says, yeah, we're doing a presentation on you tomorrow. He says, you know, we looked into your case, and it's one of the most authentic cases that we've come across. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I said, wow. I said, that's amazing. You know, I was like, this is, this is incredible. And uh, so then he, that's when he started asking about, okay, just to, to, just to confirm again, describe how, how the craft looked when it was moving away. And so I, I described it to him again. He said, yeah, that was the key right there. He says, you what you saw was a physical craft, he says, because anything has radiating plasma, you can see the plasma from a certain angle, but then when it, you know, from other angles, the plasma disappears. He says, you saw an actual physical craft in the air, and that was the key for us, that, you know, that what you saw was authentic, was real. So, I was like, wow. Well, <laughs> so let me I ask you him, this. 
Was there a color shift? In other words, did it seem to start at one end of the spectrum and move to the other? Like a, a color shift? Yeah. Or yes. did, it, did like, it remain the same color the entire time? It was it was orangish red, like tie dye. And did it did it move toward the 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 purple or violet end of the spectrum? No, no, it stayed no. orangish red, but it wasn't. It wasn't like like one part was orange, one part was red. It was it was kind of like it it moved in and out. The whole the whole thing um, was kind of like you know it would it wasn't all one color one area. It was like an orangish red tie dye kind of yeah. effect. So um, yeah, that's kind of the best way to describe it. You know, as I said, it's really hard to describe something that you've never seen before <laughs> um, on this planet. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I asked, I asked, I asked Stu Bundy the big question. I said, I mean, um, you know, um, you know, this thing was really low in the city. It was in the middle of the city at ten thirty at night. Uh, how many other people reported it? And he said, That's the thing. You're the only one. And I'm like, No, that's impossible. That that doesn't make any sense. You know, how can I be the only one who saw this thing in the city of Hamilton of five hundred thousand people? It was in a suburban area. It was a thousand feet off the ground. It was like forty or fifty feet in diameter, moving at a snail's pace and just moving its way across, like it was casual, like they were going out for beer. You know, it's like, like for a beer run. It was like, what the heck? It says, how can I be the only one? So, like at this point, I'm scared, I'm shocked, and I'm, I'm freaked out. I don't know what's going on because I knew what I, I know what I saw, and they verified it that it was authentic. How can I be the only one who saw it? It just didn't make any sense. And so um, I, I had I had Grant's phone number and I called him up because he was you know he was around the building and other places and he said yeah you know yeah I saw the I saw the presentation that that, that Mufon did and uh, we're going to talk about it don't worry I'll meet me for lunch and so uh, I meet with him on the Sunday and um, um, you know we sit down and I I go over the whole thing with him again and I said you know Grant they tell me that I'm the only one who saw this thing he says how can this be that that this doesn't make any sense. It seems that's impossible. And he says very casually, like it was like nothing. He says, oh, yeah, it happens all the time. I'm like, mm-hmm. what? Mm-hmm. He says, oh, yeah, it happens all the time. Like when one person sees it and nobody else does. He said, the same thing happened to John Lennon. I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, John Lennon, he was the only one in New York City who saw this craft. And then when he went on, Grant gave a couple other examples of people who he's spoken to who have been chased down highways by you know UFOs. And when Grant starts asking questions like, you know, is this a busy, is this normally a busy uh, highway? And they're like, is it like, yeah, it's always busy. There's always cars on it. He says, okay. So when this, when this craft was chasing you, how many cars were on the highway? And he paused and they start, they think, geez, there was nobody on the highway. Mm-hmm. The highway was completely empty. There was nobody. And we were going for like 10 minutes. And so what Grant has said is that these beings have a way of being able to shut everybody else off around them and communicate with the ones who they want to communicate with. And then he looks at me and says, Kevin, they're in direct contact with you. And I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was completely freaked out. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> and so, so... So, Kevin, what do you think is the purpose of the contact? The purpose of the contact is because I was already using my music to raise consciousness. Um, and, my, like, I'm, my music is very... Um, emotional and I, I'm in a very high emotional state and I'm trying to raise I'm like 
as I said, like I'm starting to piece all the things together, but um, I'm trying to raise people's frequencies and bring them more, more, you know, towards spiritualness through my music and um, raising, raising vibration on the planet. And they contacted me because that is what they want me to do. And they know that I can do it and, and will, you know, be able to do this on a, on a, on a, on a, on a, on a high level, um, global level. And, uh, you know, I'm starting to understand things more and more in regards to, you know, this whole thing because these pieces are coming together and, um, I've been giving little breadcrumbs and I'm, you know, slowly starting to put things together that, um, that I didn't, you know, didn't realize were, were coincidences or I said synchronicity actually. And then, and there, it's becoming much of a larger picture of, of, uh, what's going on with me. So, you know, I, you know, I have to, I'll have to take MUFON to task for um, having a presentation that included your sighting in it without any kind of follow-up with you other than your initial report. You know, it's, uh, uh, to me, that's that's rather lazy on their part. I mean, they if they were going to include your sighting uh, in, this, uh, um, in this talk, they needed to have contacted you beforehand and had and talk to you one-on-one or at least over the telephone for an extended period of time, you know, rather than just basing everything off of the report that you originally submitted. That's right. Yeah. 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 They should have, I mean, they, they never once called me back, never, you know, to talk to me or, or even, you know, I never heard back from them after my report. It was only a matter of, you know, through accidental discovery, Mm -hmm. um, you know, meeting them that I've, you know, found everything else out that was going on. <laughs> yeah, well, was it accidental? Or like you said, you know, there's these synchronous, you know, events that take place, and you just happen to, you know, did you just happen to show up there at that conference and uh, and, t- and talk to them? Or was it uh, purposeful one way or the other? It was purposeful. It was, yeah. it was, it was meant to be, like um, you know, uh, synchronicity once again. Um, yeah. all these things coming together. I mean, I, my, my life that weekend, my life completely changed because, you know, all the things that, are, that were taking place were, it was like, it was meant to be, it was, I was awakened. I was supposed to, supposed to go there, supposed to meet with Grant and find out from Mufon about my, about my sighting. And then Grant was there to be able to tell me what's going on. Like he, 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 not only did he understand why, um, I was, you know, that I was the only one who saw this thing, but also the fact that he's the expert with, you know, the Canadian the alien musician connection. And he was able to explain to me, this is what's happening with you, Kevin. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is crazy. <laughs> like I was meant to meet him. I was supposed to meet him. And, um, you know, the things that just, you know, it, it hasn't stopped, um, all the things that are, you know, been happening. So I'm trying to piece together where, where we leave off here. Um, uh, oh yeah. Uh, go ahead. Good. Ahead. Yeah. So yeah, when I started thinking about my UFO sighting itself, it made more sense that they were they were direct contact with me um, because um, you know the, co- the the first coincidence, you know, it, it, this craft appears seven you know, seconds before I step onto my onto my deck. The sighting itself only lasted maybe a minute to a minute and thirty seconds. If I had stepped onto my deck a minute beforehand or a minute afterwards, 
I would have never saw this thing. Coincidence. Oh my goodness. I just happened to step on my deck as a UFO is flying by. Bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Second, second, the second one is that it traveled only the exact distance of my backyard from one corner to the other. Is that a coincidence? Or no. Another coincidence is that it was that close. It was only a thousand feet away from me. Another coincidence. Another coincidence, its appearance was unlike anything that can be described. It wasn't just a light in the sky, it was a it was a, a disc that was covered in plasma and two dimensional. Crazy. Hmm. I, I cannot deny that that is not from this earth. There's no way that I can deny that. There's no way. So, yeah, it made sense that they were in direct contact with me when I started piecing all this stuff together. And then, you know, yeah, the, you know, the fact, okay, how do I know that I was the only one who saw this thing? Well, that's what I found out when I went on to Rob McConnell's show, The X-Zone. I was on, I was a guest on his show the Monday after that weekend. Mm-hmm. And he, and he's actually from Hamilton and he, they, their team did research prior to me being on his show and the, whatever websites that they use to check anomalies, he checked out for that night in Hamilton and the whole surrounding area that there was absolutely no anomalies reported that night. Nothing. So as of the, the official record, there was no physical evidence of any sighting of that night. Therefore, I was the only one who saw it. So much to the point that I got an email from his producer the next day saying, due to the lack of evidence you know, of your sighting, we're no longer pursuing your story. Oh, that's nice. Yes. So something that, you know, just because they don't understand what's going on, they think I'm a liar. Is that the only sighting you've had? No. No, I don't think it is. Um, An incident happened to me back in around 2000 that um, I'm still trying to understand what happened because there could be some missing time. Uh, And what happened with that was um, I was in a band called Firestorm, and uh, the drummer and I at that time, uh, Matt Rock, he is very, uh, very much in the UFO uh, as well, um, so much that, you know, he actually quit the band afterwards and become a full-time crop circle researcher. But um, we've both been, you know, active in the study of UFOs for, you know, for 20 or 30 years. And so we, we go up to my, 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 our singer's cottage up in Huntsville. And it was, uh, it was nighttime. It was a beautiful, you know, star-filled night sky and not a cloud in the sky full moon so we go down the lake and we're you know in the lake and then we're going you know there's a sauna off to the side of the of the dock and so our singer goes into the dock or into the sauna and then matt and i are just you know in the water and we're just admiring the scars the stars and then all of a sudden this thing was in the sky and i still don't know to this day whether it was the moon or whether it was something the same size as the moon that was, it was on fire and was coming right for us, like directly for us. It was, not only was it in the atmosphere, it was within a few thousand feet from us. And I could hear it. I could hear this. And it was coming right for us. And it looked like like the moon, but it it had flames kind of shooting behind it. And then all of a sudden, flash, it, it was gone. And we both just went, whoa, what the heck was that? Was that a UFO? We don't know. But the thing is, I don't even remember blinking. I don't even remember it disappearing. I don't know. It's like that memory is, is gone with me. 
I just remember seeing, looking up and seeing it coming at us, hearing the sound, and then Flash was gone. So I don't know what happened. And I, um, Matt didn't know it either. We didn't know what happened. And even to this day, we still couldn't, we can't, we can't get our story straight because he thought he remembered seeing this object coming from the water up to the sky. Hmm. So, like, it's weird. And I went under hypnosis. I went under regression um, last year to try and see if, if I could uncover anything more from that. And there seemed like we, there was nothing more that I could remember from it. But there also seemed to be some kind of block because uh, there seemed to appear like this black vortex that was kind of appearing underneath my chair that I could see in my mind's eye. And I couldn't, I didn't know what it was. It was almost like maybe it was like like protecting me or something like that, or maybe I'm not supposed to know about what what actually happened until later on. I don't know, but when you know the facilitator asked me to you know to if I could remove that that block and let it dissipate, she actually said the actually the the lights flickered on the room the room when when I did that. So it was kind of interesting. So, um, yeah. So is that you know that was really weird that that experience. So I don't think I don't think that was you know the first. I think that that something possibly could be hidden behind that that anomaly or whatever happened up in up in Huntsville. Now, you know, I've heard I've heard from other people who have had similar experiences, Kevin, and they to them when you describe you know like almost a sudden appearance and sudden disappearance of this uh, object, it's been described almost as like there's been a, a skip in time, so to speak. Uh, you know, like if you see uh, a, a film on television that's been edited badly, and, mm-hmm. and you know how how one scene will skip to another abruptly. That's how a lot yes. of people describe uh, these kind of situations. You know, yeah, yeah. the way that the UFO just suddenly just disappears, and it's, it's, it's they just have a feeling almost that they they they've had a skip, so to speak. Yes, that's exactly Miss, the missing, basically missing time. It's exactly what it felt like was a skip. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly what it felt like. So do you think you had any missing time? I think it's highly possible. I think it's very probable because that's exactly yeah. what it felt like. It felt like a skip. It's yeah. just like all so of a sudden like, we wake up tried, and it's like, whoa. Have happened? you ever tried to determine if you had missing time and if so, what happened? Well, that's what, we, that's, yeah, that's what we tried to do going under hypnosis, but um, yeah. I couldn't find anything. All I could find was this black vortex under my chair You know, while, while I was – under hypnosis, that was blocking something, protecting me. So I don't know what it was. Yeah, hypnotic hypnotic regression is uh, unfortunately not really the best way uh, to go. Be it, uh, if anything is to come out, most of the time it has to come out naturally. Uh, a lot of these stories that you hear about people who have been hypnotically regressed and they can remember all these sordid details about, you know, the aliens taking them on board and, you know, cutting their brains out and putting them back in again, mm-hmm. probably yeah. are not uh, uh, correct interpretations of what may have actually have happened to them. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that uh, the people who uh, their experiences slowly come back to them. Over time, you probably uh, would have a little bit more of a, a legitimate air about them. You know, when when people yeah. have tried to force these experiences out, sometimes I think that um, a cover memory of these really, you know, lurid experiences uh, then right. com- comes into play. 
so I mean, you know, yeah, if if you had been regressed and you actually reported, uh, you know, like the, the the really the stereotypical type of alien abduction experience, you know, you'd really have to kind of like uh, um, uh, put your tongue firmly firmly in your cheek in uh, interpreting that. <laughs> mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you. Mm. Well, you know, you're, I just want to say uh, the description that you had of your craft, uh, uh, your initial UFO sighting, have you seen any of the photographs by a, uh, um, a Mexican uh, uh, UFO experiencer by the name of Carlos Diaz? No. It's D-I-A-Z. Sometime uh, Google that, Carlos Diaz, and take a look at his photographs. I mean, his... Uh, the crafts may not be the same kind of shape, but the the, the way you, that you describe the colors and everything like that sound very similar to the hundreds of photographs that this guy uh, uh, took in the 1990s. Okay. Uh, yeah, you, you, you may find that of, uh, of, of interest, you know. Now, uh, I want to ask you also... Before your first UFO experience, did you have any mm-hmm. kind of interest in, in UFOs or the paranormal or anything like that at all? Oh, yeah. UFOs, yeah. Like, um, I really started uh, getting, like, I was already really interested in UFOs for a long time, but what I, I really remember really getting serious about it when uh, I was uh, in university. And there was a guy downstairs who... Um, had this, all this material on uh, Bob Lazar, who mm-hmm. came out talking about you know propulsion systems, you know stuff from Area Fifty One. So I really started, you know, that really started to pique my interest again to really start studying UFOs more intently. And then I started buying, you know, um, and reading Bud Hopkins' books on UFO and alien abductions. And mm-hmm. so that's what I was, you know, really studying at that time to try and understand what's going on, what is this all about, and dig more down down the rabbit hole. You know, this is going back to when, you know, there was no internet. So, you know, whatever, you know, education or whatever research you do is, you know, through, you know, through books and, and going to the libraries. So, um, so I started really, you know, that's where, and I really started taking, you know, UFOs seriously and trying to learn more and more about the subject. But, um, my real, um, interest really started to peak i would probably say when i was five years old um when um there was a book that was in my doctor's office uh, was on the moon it was this big huge picture book and i was always gravitating to it because i was always interested in space when i was a kid you know i was i was when i was a kid i was watching like you know star trek back in you know it was like 1976 i was watching star trek and space 1999 so i was really i loved space mm. it really fascinated me so then here's this book on the moon, and, you know, uh, this is uh, back in the 70s. So the, the pictures that were of the astronauts were, you know, really high quality. But then as you start getting deeper into the book and they have more pictures of the craters and stuff, I noticed that the picture after picture after picture after picture of, of stuff that was airbrushed out. And I didn't know what was going on. Like I knew there was something that the pictures were doctored, yeah. that they were covering something up. It was obvious. It was their, you know, their airbrushing techniques were poor, really poor. That I, as a kid, knew this is they're they're covering something up, they're hiding something, and I'd be looking at it, and you know, there'd be like long, tall, blurry things, or small, old, blurry things, or blurred out this, blurred out that, and I'm like, you know, scratching and thinking maybe if I scratch it, you know, it'll it'll remove you know the blurriness, and I'll be able to see the picture on the back, mm-hmm. or maybe if I flip the page over, I'll be able to see 
through, you know, through the back and see what they're covering up. But, you know, as a kid, you know, this is what you're thinking. So I realized, <laughs> I was realizing that, you know, like there's something wrong with these pictures. And it really frustrated me because, you know, the whole book was just full of airbrushed out stuff. And then I, you know, you know, 20, 25 years later, I'm seeing the same pictures on the internet, on YouTube. And I'm thinking, I've seen this before. Where have I seen these pictures before? And there was a flashback to my kid going, oh my God, that's it. Because I knew, like, because I was, I spent years studying, um, the, you know, the baleen bases on the moon and realized, my God, it's all right. It's all true that there, you know, there are bases on the moon. And then it's seeing all these pictures and starting to piece together that I saw this when I was a kid. And it was just like this huge eureka. So, yeah, like I, like, and that's, you know, I really started studying anomalies and, you know, watching stuff on Richard C. Hoagland and, you know, everything else and just learning as much as I could and then taking it and, you know, and, and, that was my catalyst for, for building pyramids on Mars and um, and wanting to let the world know this is the truth. The truth is out there. People need to know that the alien, you know, they're here. They've been here for a long time, and there's so much pieces of the puzzle. And so now, you know, what's going on with me is um, all these other synchronicity things that are happening that are piecing more pieces together, and I started to realize that there there was a huge connection with me and uh, my ESP abilities because I became really aware of my ESP abilities back in around, you know, what, around 2011. And it was these synchronicity things happening where, you know, I'd be thinking of somebody and all of a sudden they'd phone me or I would be thinking of somebody and I would phone them and they were saying, Oh my God, we we're just talking about you. And this was happening all the time. It was like, it was happening so much that I could not ignore it. It was isn't it wasn't just coincidence. It was I realized that I have ESP. Now um, I had my largest ESP moment back in 2014. Um, it was August 11th, and that was uh, Monday, and that was the day that uh, Rob Williams um, um, uh, committed suicide. Now this is what happened, guys. Um, I saw him dying the day before. I saw him on Sunday. I saw him dying. Hmm. And what happened was it was around 1130 in the morning and I was just doing dishes and it was like, almost like it was like the movie star Wars where Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, you saw the Alderaan explode and there's like, you know, disturbance in the forest and he's going, Oh, he's like, that's exactly what happened to me. It was like an Obi-Wan Kenobi moment, this disturbance in the forest where all of a sudden I saw, and it was overcome with this grief, great sadness. And I saw Robin Williams face it was the end of the movie Bicentennial Man, um, where he plays this android, and um, you know he decides that he wants, you know, after living 250 years, he decides he wants to die because he's tired of outliving all all his loved ones, and so he's lying on a bed dying, and the, the camera is just panning away very slowly, and he's got that sad smile on his on his face, and that's what I saw, and I was so overcome with such sadness and grief, and I saw his face so strongly and felt this great sadness, you know, seeing him dying. And uh, I was just overcome with emotion, thinking, oh, my God, I really got to watch this movie right now. I'm so sad. And then I find out a little bit more 24 hours later, Monday night, um, when my wife turned to me and said, hey, um, did you hear that Robin Williams died this morning? And I was just like, oh, my goodness, that's so sad. My God, I saw him dying yesterday. Hmm. And I was just like, oh, my God. I turned to her, I grabbed her, I said, this is, this is, this is not coincidence. I saw him dying yesterday. I says, I have got ESP. There's no doubt about it. Now, here's the thing, guys. When did I say that day was? That was August 11th. When was my UFO sighting? 
August 21st, exactly 10 days afterwards. Huh. Yeah. So what, Ed, what, what does your wife think about this? I mean, you know, uh, you grab her by the shoulders and say, I've got ESP. She's like, yeah, yeah, calm down. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, she, we're not on the same, we're not on the same vibrational levels, unfortunately. Um, she, you know, as far as my UFO sighting, she, she knows that I saw something, but that's about as far as it goes. You know, and everything else that I share with her, I don't really know what she thinks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I know that, you know, I'm I'm raising up in a different frequency from from her. So I, there's no point in me trying to. You know, um, I'm not going. I can't take her with me. You know, it's a spiritual. It's a spiritual growth thing. It's a, um, you know, it's a spirit thing that you know that, that you have to come to your own conclusion and raise your own awareness and you know, raise your own vibration. And my vibration is raising higher and higher, and and I, you know, I'm I'm not stopping, and I'm meeting people along the way who are helping me, um, helping me more to you know to become who it is that I'm supposed to become. And so, here it is. Um, a few months afterwards, um, uh, I get this dream, and this is the thing I was talking about, where Grand Cameron talks about downloads, you know, d- downloads through dreams. And I have this dream where um, I'm being handed my custom electric guitar to me by these three greys. And it looks very much like my Ibanez guitar that I have right now. But what I noticed was different was that there was this design right in the neck, which was this double helix, this DNA double helix design. And I recognized that because that was a crop circle um, formation from 1997 in Wiltshire, which is this actual DNA um um, double helix, and I was thinking, wow, that looks so cool in the neck. It was it was a green color, and I was thinking that looks so cool in the neck. I wish, you know, um, that'd be really cool to have something like that. Well, then synchronicity again. Three days after I have that dream, I start being followed on Facebook by a company called Neck Illusions, hmm. who specialize in 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 um, removable neck graphics. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I contact Mark from the company, and I. I uh, sent him pictures of the D of the you know the crop circle and um, a couple pictures of Steve Vai's gem guitar that has this you know nice green you know um, vine design. I said, can you make this design with these colors and stuff like that? And he said, absolutely. And so they end up creating this this uh, DNA double helix neck graphics design on my you know for my guitar exactly how I saw my dreams. Not only that, they gave me an endorsement deal. I have um, you know a special page on their website, and my 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 design is one of their is one of their top you know uh, selling designs basically now. Oh sweet! Um, and I've got a you know I, I get a percentage uh, from the sales. Well, cool, good. <laughs> yeah, so it's like synchronicity again. But the thing was, I didn't know what this symbol meant. I didn't know what it meant. Um, so then I um, I email it to uh, Patty Greer. Do you know Patty Greer? No. Okay, so. she's a she's a crop circle researcher, and um, f- what she thought was basically that it's um, it's a symbol of our of our um, evolution um, that has something to do with our evolution um, of you know probably DNA unlocking, hmm. and so um, then uh, it was uh, exactly a week ago I was on uh, Solaris Blue Ravens show uh, um, um, the Witching Hour. And when I told her about the DNA double helix, she knew exactly what it meant and what it what what it represented. And she says, you know, it's it's about DNA activation. 
and that she's this is what she you know she has done DNA activation and she's and she and a lot of things have happened to her with increasing her um, you know ESP and 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 other other things that you know that she's able to, that she's doing that she has um, connection with and so now she's teaching me how to do this. Um, she sent me some information on on how to you know do DNA activation, but basically it's through raising frequency vibration. And she said she said that I was already doing that uh, through my music, and she could hear that. So she said that I was already on the path, and and that is why you know this, why the symbol is so significant. It's so so what what what's her what's her claim to fame? What is what is her area of expertise or? How does she, she know these know these things? She has uh, she's been a victim of um, artificial telepathy. Um, 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 she was a victim. Um, basically, uh, the band Rush um, targeted her for artificial telepathy um, experimentation. Is that what she says? She says that the band Rush is some sort of secret group that's going around messing with people. You really yeah. believe that? Well, that is what she has been going on for, you know, for the last, you know, since 2004. And this, this kind of reminds me of the, the people who claim that, that every famous, that everybody from Boxcar Willie to Chris Christopherson to the Queen of England are shape-shifting reptilian sexual predators. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, okay, you can say that, but where's your proof, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. You, well, you know, you know, though, that that part of um, one of the uh, MK Ultra programs was to actually put that face onto their um, uh, to the real perpetrators well yeah yeah well, I, I don't want to say transmissions because there was a number screen of memory yeah there was a number yeah. of different uh, uh, protocols going on at the time but yeah I mean rather than you know rather than saying hey yeah it's you know it's yeah. this, it's we're the CIA and we're you know experimenting on your mind control they would say yeah I'm uh, boxcar Willie that sort of thing so I mean, yeah the, the thing that bothers me about is when I hear you know, like like Rush is going to take time off from their busy touring and recording schedule to target some woman and play a little mind control games with her. I'm just not going to buy that. But again, you know, I mean, why why is this lady an expert on on DNA activation? I mean, DNA activation. What is that? I've heard that many times. By the way, we're going to de- activate your DNA so that you can move to the fifth density, which you know doesn't really exist. So these kind of things kind of bother me a little bit, and not not reflection on you. Uh, Kevin, but this, this, just the person that makes claims like that, it, it kind of, you know, I mean, I, I could say anything. I could say, you know, that, you know, that Barack Obama is, is using mind control devices on me and blah, blah, blah. And there are plenty of people out there who would believe it. They would absolutely, you know, so I, I always kind of have a, a grain of salt with that sort of thing. Well, you know, the, the strange thing, though, uh, Mike, is that a lot of people who have had these types of UFO experiences um, start talking about the, you know, the same kind of uh, of thing. I mean, like as Kevin was yeah. saying, you know, they're they're um, they they start to develop uh, you know mental capacities that uh, they they previously didn't have they develop an interest a lot of times in higher mathematics and physics and yeah, like that. Yeah. and and you and then you have the people who you know will also uh, start uh, um uh, having an interest in more the uh the 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 es- esoterical uh, aspects like, yeah. like you said you know yeah. talking about the the DNA 
Uh, yeah, but see, I want I want to know how, what's the proof for that the DNA activation. I mean, what you 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 know you your DNA is activated so you could turn your toaster on from across the room. I mean, what does it do? What's what's the payoff here, and how do you prove it? And you know, you hear these types of things all the time in the New Age community, but you know, but again, you know, who knows? Well, what I'm finding is um, is uh, um, there's a the direct relation between you know my ESP. And my music and tapping into this yeah. higher consciousness. And well, see, I can that, believe that now. See that yeah. ESP is a real thing. It's a, it's a reality. You know, it's been proven. You know, even in the lab. So, I mean, mm-hmm. and and we've all had our experiences like that, honestly. And most oh, yeah. of us have it. <laughs> so, so you know, I, I'm just leery of people who like claim that they're being stalked by you know famous celebrities, politicians, rock groups, and. And that kind of thing. I kind of, if if they're going to say that, I'm going to kind of look at anything they say with a bit of suspicion. <laughs> mm. Just saying, you know, because there's a thin, there's a fine line between, you know, making claims like that and being delusional. And you know, I'm not saying that she is, but I don't know her. But that's just, I would take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. Well, is she is she into is she like a uh, self-proclaimed witch or something like that. No, no, it's not, not a witch. No, she's she's got off-world teachers. She's uh, off-world she's, teachers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, see it again, again. I mean, that could be said. You know, people say stuff like that, but I mean, you know. So, I mean, how do you prove that? How do you demonstrate you have off-world teachers? You know, it's not like you're going to get a certificate. You know what I mean? Mm, well. She's she's uh, very high up in in you know in her consciousness of you know, levels of consciousness that she's she's reached and um, you know yeah yeah you know talking to her is you know it's, it's hard for me to just you know describe how it is it what, she, what she's describing because she's very you know very in a different a different um, a different place um, but uh, she's really she's helping me to uh, unlock you know these things that I. These these gifts that I already have and 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 enhance them. So I'm hoping that through the information that she's given me, that I will be able to to do that. And the funny thing was was another you know large ESP thing happened again last night once I got off the phone with her. That was really crazy. But I'm not going to get into you know into details about it was because it's kind of personal. But it was another thing that made me realize, geez, maybe I'm back. Maybe, I think I'm you know I'm, I'm back in. I'm tuned. I'm tuned back in to the frequency. I'm, it's it's happening again, so um, I'm just you know going to continue with you know and go through her program and see what happens. So now, have you have you seen a since you've started having these experiences? I mean, have you seen a difference in the way that you're playing your music, how you're how you're coming up with your songs, to, you know, uh, to begin with, and then how it uh, uh, how they come to shape there in the uh, um, in the mixing room? I think it's um, it was already it was already happening before my sighting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what what I was doing and how you know, my writing process because I, I would these ideas would come to me and on every time I would write a song it felt like I was really just on autopilot like I was it's like be, an artist be given a you know a white piece of paper with a you know a pencil drawing and then you're just kind of like color by numbers where you know the the you know the one means red the two means blue and you know you're just kind of filling it in and by the time you're done it's like oh well there the picture's done. 
and that's kind of how it felt like with my with my writing process where I was on autopilot where um, I'm channeled in you know emotionally um, it's all about you know it's all channeled through emotion of, of the music that's coming out and then it would uh, you know I would just be channeled into the emotion and the intensity and let it let it the song write itself and many of my best songs that were written were actually written completed in you know three to five days and considering you know I'm playing all the instruments on the album and that that three yeah. to five days also includes you know mixing and mastering and you know press you know done right that's pretty that's pretty um, impressive mm-hmm. well you know I saw that you were doing your own your own uh, all pretty much all the instruments on your album so how does that impact you when you like you're required to perform live I mean it's just you and your brother and do you have somebody drum or on drums uh, or what do you, what do you do Right now, when we have played live, um, you know, I'm playing guitar, uh, so I'm playing most of the, uh, you know, rhythm and the, uh, and the, the lead, and then Craig plays yeah. bass, and then, um, the other mi- the music is mixed down, um, through my laptop, and it plays through the sound system. So, <clears throat> it works out pretty good for right now. I mean, I want to eventually add a drummer, you know, a drummer to, uh, to the band and, and build the band up as, you know, we start playing more and more shows. Um, yeah. but I, right now I, I'm not putting so much of an effort or a focus on live shows just because I find right now it's just kind of a, a waste of time. Um, it's very frustrating with this, you know, with the Toronto music scene where, yeah. you know, the clubs are more interested in how many people you're going to bring out. And if you don't, you know, give them a number that, you know, that they like, they don't even call you back. Mm. So here I am, you know, even, even when I get on, you know, when I have gone on to certain bills, um, I usually end up um, being the headlining act because I'm such a strange, you know, strange band, yeah. you know, virtuoso player. No one's, you know, no one's playing like how what I'm doing. So and by the time I get on stage, you know, there could be other, you know, two or three other bands who are there who have played. And once they've played, they've packed up and taken their, their audience with them. So I'm left playing for, you know, a handful of people. So it's like, well, this is, this is a great use of my time. Uh, that's, <laughs> frust- no, that's frustrating. Yeah. Oh my gosh! You would th- you would think that people would uh, would stick around to hear everybody. Mm, not the case. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no. I start to say if I'm going to s- spend my money to go to a venue, I'm going to go and hear everyone. <laughs> you'd think that, you know. So I end up you then it's just, you yeah, know exactly. it's like this is this is a waste of my time. I'm not getting exposure this way. Mm-hmm. And there was another one club we actually played at where um, it was a great crowd. We played for like you know probably eighty or hundred people. And uh, they went absolutely haywire. You thought we were playing at some major stadium. They just were freaking out because they haven't heard anybody play what we were doing. And it was a fantastic show. But we only had brought out maybe like five people to that show um, just because, you know, a lot of people my age, you know, have day jobs and they can't always get out to, you know, the shows. So when I yeah. called up, you know, I called, recalled the, uh, you know, the, the, the booker again, you know, saying, well, we played a really awesome show and, you know, we're hoping to play again. He said, well, that's all great and dandy, but you only brought out, you know, a couple of people, so we don't want you back. jeez. <laughs> so, you know, so I said, the hell with this. You know, this yeah. is, I'm not going to waste my time. You know, um, and most people don't appreciate, you know, what it is I'm doing anyway, because uh, they listen mostly to, you know, you know, music with, with singers. So yeah. I decided, you know, I'm going to focus on building my, you know, my following through social media and doing radio interviews and magazine interviews. And, and it's getting so big now where I've got companies coming to me asking, how are you doing your social media? I want, we want to hire you on as a consultant. 
because I'm not only am I building a, a following with you know through Twitter and, and Facebook and stuff, but I have people who um, they're engaged with with what I'm doing and who I am, and they're even thanking me for me following them on Twitter. And I know yeah. I've learned how to create a relationship with people because I'm you know I I have active tweets that go out. I'm constantly engaging with people. And I've also, you know, introduced them uh, when I, when they first start following me. They're getting an introductory um, video of of who I am, and so there's a relationship there. I've learned how to build relationships, and my Twitter impressions have gone from like you know, say like two thousand impressions a day, which is an impressions basically when your tweet shows up on somebody's phone, they're looking at it. So it's gone from two thousand impressions a day to almost fifteen thousand impressions a day. Wow. Oh, that's great! Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's gratifying when you're when you're seeing it build like that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm getting like four thousand new Twitter followers a month. Mm-hmm. I'm almost at fifty thousand Twitter followers now. So, you know, you know, the things are taking off. It's just a matter of time. All right, gentlemen, we need to uh, uh, go and take a break here. And uh, Kevin, I'm going to uh, uh, play as we're going out uh, to this break. Uh, Dream Division. You want to uh, uh, talk a little bit about it before we uh, uh, go? I mean, you know, uh, yes, that's a good song to pick because this is a very important one. Okay. Um, we talked about uh, downloads and or and, and Grant talks about downloads and musicians getting music from somewhere else, um, where the you know, musicians musicians can't really take credit for writing a song. Where the Beatles like say, yeah, they had a dream where they were playing with the Rolling Stones. And they really enjoyed that song the Rolling Stones were playing with them and they realize oh the song isn't even written and so they end up writing this song well that's pretty much the experience that happened with uh, this song dream division i didn't write it I didn't write the song it was given to me in a dream so what happened it was um, i was having this dream where joe satriani is uh, being interviewed by uh, you know some guy and he's satriani is sitting at a recording console and he's saying, so are you working on, I hear you're working on a new album. And Joe's like, Joe's like, yeah, I actually got some bed tracks laid down and, uh, and we're working on some new stuff. And he says, well, can you play something for us? He says, yeah, sure. And so he starts playing this song. And what he was playing was Dream Division. Hmm. <laughs> so when, when I heard the song, I was thinking, wow, that sounds so cool. Yeah, I wish I could write something like that. And then I realized, wait a second, he never wrote this song. <laughs> so I wake myself up. I go downstairs, I get a piece of paper, and I start writing out the charts of what I heard for the drums, bass, guitar, and then um, the Dream Division just came together. So I didn't, I didn't really write that song. Oh, fantastic. Well, let's go ahead and uh, play that, and then we'll go on into our break. So uh, you are listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. Stay tuned. We will be right back.
I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. So, Jacqueline. Yes, Mom? I wanted to talk to you about something and... Oh, wait. Hold on. I just got a text. Oh, there's another one. Wow. Busy, busy me. So, anyway... Oh, wait, Mom. I just got a message. My friends keep commenting on my comment. Oh, there's another one. So many comments on my comment. Oh, I can't wait to watch TV tonight. Playoffs! Hey, guys, check out my new video game. Wait, wait. Mom, what? What? Hold on. What'd you say? Wait a second, what? This weekend, unplug. Take your family to the forest. There's nothing in the world like experiencing nature firsthand. Trees, paths, bluebirds, streams. Getting closer to nature can get you closer to your family. To find the forest nearest you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Whoa. The moment my son saw a redwood tree. It's huge! Is the moment I knew that for him. You can't even see the top of that thing! Even the sky has no limit. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. Your moment is out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. You're listening to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz, only on PSN Radio.
Welcome back to The Outer Edge. I'm Tim Schwartz with Mike Mott. And uh, you've just been listening to Star Jumper by Pyramids on Mars. Kevin, uh, anything you want to uh, say about that uh, before we continue with our conversation? Yeah, that song was uh, it's off my, my first CD, uh, Pyramids on Mars. And I released that CD back in 2013. And, uh, yeah, that song is actually uh, influenced a lot by... Uh, late 90s uh dance music like mm-hmm. techno and and uh and trance um you know I, I have musical influences that come you know from all over places but you know i decided to you know to do something that was that was hypnotic like that i something about that music back in those days it was really hypnotic that i enjoyed there's certain qualities about it so i thought hey what, what the heck why not <laughs> oh yeah i like it well you know and uh some of the songs that i've uh that I've listened to uh, before our program here. I mean, I I see you know uh, a lot of different uh, influences, but uh, and I was saying to Mike before we started to show that uh, you know I, I, I hear some uh, Alan Parsons uh, in there. I don't know if yeah. that was deliberate or not, <laughs> but I know you hmm. said that uh, you had some uh, um, some Pink Floyd influence, and you know Alan oh, Parsons. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean yeah. Alan Parsons, yeah. you know, produced. Uh, um, Different, their earliest albums, yeah. Yeah, was it Dark Side of yeah. the Moon? Maybe I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. So. Hmm. Neat. <laughs> yeah, but say yeah. There, there you go. I didn't even realize it. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, Kevin. Getting back to what we were talking about before we took our break, uh, I remember reading years ago uh, a science fiction novel. And I wish I could even remember the name now. But one of the aspects of this story was that um, the the extraterrestrials that that mankind was trading with, one of the main things that all of these alien races wanted from us was music. That music was unique throughout the galaxy. Uh, except for except for humanity, humanity was the only one that really made music, and it and it, and everybody else you know wanted it. So, is is music a uh, a universal thing? I mean, is uh, from your experiences with um, whomever these uh, um, these beings are that you've been in communication with. Are we the only ones that do it, or is there something else? I mean, you know, is it is it, is it universal? Well, music is 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 universal, and I you know I'm I'm sure there's music being played on the in the Pleiades. You know, um, I love you know actually John Anderson from Yes was I listened to something him talk about what he wants what he thinks music from the Pleiades might sound like, but yeah, music is 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 frequency vibration, and vibration. Um, you know, and that's it's a it's a universal language, and it communicates um, on so many different levels. Um, I mean, uh, music is it itself is so complicated when you break it down with you know frequency, with harmony, with rhythm. Um, it is a language. It, it's uh, it really is a language, and um, there's so much to music too that you know conveys emotions, that conveys energies. Um, it's a it's a, music is a, is an amazing thing, and there's you know it can you can it can take you places it can it can trigger a memory it it you know it um, 
it's it also um, can change. I think it can change your DNA. Um, one of the things that I've recently learned about is um, is about um, the standard tuning of, of music currently in this day and age. Day and age is is uh, four forty megahertz you know, for the standard A tuning, mm-hmm. and and musician music is you know tuned to four forty. Well, this is wrong. It's absolutely incorrect. It should be four thirty two. 432 megahertz and what i've recently you know what's what's um i've recently have been learning is that 432 megahertz is a is a is a sacred frequency so to speak um and it, it in itself it divides it keeps dividing itself by i think by seven or by nine but it's um it 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 they're actually able to look at what music looks like on a physical level um, and uh, they've done the, like they, they have these discs which are like you know filled with water. But when you when you vibrate frequencies at certain things, um, it creates patterns, you know, uh, actual physical patterns, and you can see these different patterns changing. And what they found is 440 is a completely dissonant frequency. There's no pattern to it. it it's it, it's 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 very dissonant. But when you get to 432, it creates these amazing patterns of of uh, you know geometrical patterns and they've also found they don't it, it is it's also been you know shown the 432 is the tuning for the the great chamber in the pyramid of giza hmm. and in addition, in addition to that um tibetan bowls um you know the tibetan bowls are tuned to 432 so this is known as a as a is a as a sacred tuning so music should be tuned to 432 because it's going to resonate and it's going to, you know, change, you know, it's going to harmonize, harmonize with your, your body, you know, it's going to vibrate at a cellular level. And that's why music should be, go back to 432. I even remember them saying something that they also found the evidence with uh, Mozart because Mozart, one of Mozart's uh, violins they found was tuned to 432 and they realized that Mozart was writing his music in, in 432 as well. So, you know, yeah, I, it's, you know, I, I read, I, I think I read uh, the very same article that you're referring to because uh, this a couple of weeks ago. I, I, I was reading about that, and unfortunately, I, I have absolutely no knowledge of music at all. Uh, so, I mean, I had no really no idea what they're talking about. But I found it really interesting, and just you know, I was, I was wondering when the the standard, you know, became uh, the other rather than four four thirty two. Well, I think uh, from other other you know sources I've been getting at, I think it has to do a lot with mind control. Hmm. They don't want they don't want people to be harmonizing too much. Um, you know that it, it was done purposely on on purpose to to keep us in, you know, in disharmony, so to speak. Um, and I think it's a part of a mind control program. That's what I think it is. Well, now um, considering what. Uh, you, you've made some references throughout this show, and, and, and I really want, want to get into this, is um, the reference that somehow the, you know, whatever the beings are that uh, are associated with UFOs have been working with uh, musicians, and especially uh, uh, rock musicians, over the last yeah. uh, you know, what, you know, 40 years, 50 years, what have you. Yes. And uh, uh, so, uh, why don't you uh, uh, tell us tell us about that? I know Tim Beckley has uh, has written 
several books on this subject and, and, and articles as well. So, I mean, what do you know about it? Well, I know that there's a lot of musicians who have been contacted, uh, you know, by extraterrestrials. Um, you know, God, there's so many. Um, Elvis, David Bowie, um, um, uh, John Lennon, obviously. Um, Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix, Jerry Garcia, yeah. Yeah. Um, Sammy Hagar, um, John, Al Jurgensen from the band Ministry, um, the Moody Blues, um, John Anderson from Yes, Rick Wakeman from Yes. Are all, they, they've all spoken, you know, come out publicly about, about their connection, you know, being contacted by extraterrestrials directly. Um, David Bowie, you know, he's a big one. Like, you know, way back when, when he was in Ziggy, Ziggy Stardust, he said he was, you know, seeing, you know, an average, you know, six craft, you know, a day. Yeah. Um, like they were following him. And he often felt like, you know, that, um, he felt like they were inside his head, um, or always watching him. Um, and he felt like a vessel, um, and, but, you know, so many people have had, you know, these people, you know, people who have been in contact with aliens. Um, you know, I heard about John Anderson of, uh, from Yes, you know, he was in Las Vegas at one point and this extraterrestrial actually walked through, you know, walked through a wall and came and, and, and talked to him and then walked out of the wall and came back out again. Um, so yeah, it's, um, you know, a lot of musicians have been contacted, uh, you know, by extraterrestrials. Um, and, you know, and, not, and why do you think, why do you think, uh, uh this is happening? Because they're, they're, they're using music to, um, you know, to raise, you know, to raise awareness of, of, of their existence. And the reason why is because more people are more, um, in tune to listening to music and they're more, you know, they're more open-minded to the, you know, hearing hearing the messages and 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 in, in this, and so it's it, you know it's a, it's a language of communication on multiple yeah. levels, emotional you know um, emotional and and uh, you know frequency vibration and and um, so you know, so it's almost like it's subliminal subliminal too yeah so yeah. so would it ever has it ever even occurred to you that perhaps if that actually is going on that rather than raising consciousness is designed to uh, create a more docile human kind or to otherwise manipulate us in a way that may not be in our best interest i don't i don't think these beings are here for you know for for a bad a bad intention um i think they're trying to they're trying to make their you know awareness to us and and help us come into into the light um and they're using music, you know, as you know, as a tool to to help us, to help raise raise awareness and raise consciousness. Um, but I don't think it's being done in a malicious way. Um, so, how does this tie in with like the negative encounters people have with with UFO entities? With um, you mean like 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 negative abduction experiences that have like a lot of you know painful uh, physical interaction stuff like that. I don't. I don't really know. I don't really know on that on that on that point. Um, I mean, I know there's you know there are you know good aliens and there's aliens who are you know doing things or which are 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 not very nice, and then there's other aliens who want to you know control us. Um, there's there's tons of you know there's different races that are going on all the time, mm-hmm. um, but you know um, some races are are trying to help us. Other races are are you know. Maybe they're here for more um, 
selfish reasons. Are, are you familiar with uh, computer programming language to any extent? Not really, no. Okay, well, do you know what a subroutine is? No. Okay, a subroutine is like you have a software program that is running, but in the background and in sort of underneath the main program, there are other things going on. So if there is some sort of programming going on by music, could there not be subroutines that are in there designed to affect us in ways we don't even know? Hmm. No, I didn't know that. So you're saying they're, they're like almost like subliminal messages, or is it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's just like in the same way that that you know, on the surface it could all seem wonderful, but underneath there there could be other things going on that that we won't even be aware of at this point until they become manifest. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. Kind of like a Trojan horse virus. Right. Yeah. So, Mike, it sounds almost like you're talking about. Uh, uh, the people who used to say that uh, a lot of these, uh, especially you know, like the heavy metal groups, you know, would have like backward masking and yeah. uh, be uh, uh, you could uh, play the play the albums backwards and hear chants to Satan and things like that. And, Some people actually did that, but it was a it was a hoot, you know. Oh yeah, did well, it just to get attention. Yeah. Well, you know, the the uh, Electric Light Orchestra uh, did that because they I can't remember which album it was. They had been accused that they, you know, had deliberately had, or that they had hidden, you know, backward masked messages and then they right. released an album called Hidden Hidden Message and and had uh, a, a, a real backward masking in their songs. So just kind of yeah. as a, a a satire to those people. <laughs> huh. Well, I know some songs that do have, you know, backward masking. Um, actually, my, my English teacher back in high school played, you know, because he had a four-track recorder. He was able actually to play some songs backwards for us. And yeah. you know what? You know, when you play the song Another One Bites the Dust by, by Queen, you know what yeah. it says backwards? What? It says, it says well, I'll say it backwards exactly how it says, Stop Smoke Mail 1... <laughs> that smoke marijuana. That's funny. <laughs> Start smoking marijuana. That's what it says backwards. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, you know, I have no doubt that uh, you know some of these, uh, you know, some of these albums and the uh, uh, the artist uh, who recorded them. I mean, they they deliberately studied to see what words that they could uh, say that would have another message uh, backwards. But that's hard to do. <laughs> yeah, but that one was pretty wild. Yeah, yeah, that was that was well, and I think that catch uh, what was it uh, from the Beatles? Was it the White Album uh, number nine, yeah. where yeah. supposedly that number nine, number nine, number nine, when you played it backwards, it it says "Turn me on, Dead Man." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jeez, uh, yeah. But uh, uh, so, uh, do you think that Kevin, uh, uh, um, um, this type of musical influence um, um, by the uh, 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 the UFO beans has been going on for quite a while? I mean, you know, I mean, uh, that it's not something that is recent. Uh, I mean, I know, I know that you know the recording industry, you know, plays uh, a big part in it because you know it's the mass distribution. But I mean, do you think that there may have been uh, these types of influences, you know, a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago, something like that? 
Well, I think uh, I remember you know uh, an interview that Grant or a presentation Grant had done where he had looked at that and he said that it seemed to be the same kind of patterns of of inspiration that were happening even with you know great composers like uh, yeah. you know Mozart and Beethoven and stuff like that where or, or Tchaikovsky where music was coming to them and they didn't you know they they really weren't writing it they felt more like channels. Well, you know, even if you look back in folklore, you'll see like the so-called fairies and such would have uh, music that could actually capture you. You know, people were warned, don't go dance with the with the wee folk or you may not ever come back and things mm. like that. Mm. Well, yeah. that, you know, that makes sense to me uh, because of just the way that 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 music can just carry you away. Uh, that's, yeah, that's yeah. really the best way to do it. I mean, there are just some songs that just resonate with you, and it's like it's like you right. say, Kevin. I mean, oh my gosh, it's it, to me, it is amazing how music can convey emotions. You know, yep. and you know, is that it, it, it's unfortunate that you know uh, we we really um, we're the only ones we're the only intelligent species that we know of that we can talk to but i would love to know if you know other animals or beings or what have you can also uh, uh, uh feel that emotional connect with music i don't know does that make sense <laughs> i think i think there's a lot of animals that you know that animals can can feel music and react to music i mean uh you know I know. I've heard dogs singing, you know, to to songs. You know, they get yeah. affected by emo, you know, affected emotionally by by music. You know, I've sure. seen a lot of a lot of pictures of you know videos of animals dancing to music, um, birds dancing to music, and they're really grooving. <laughs> so do they do they feel it? Yeah, I think they do. You know, it, it affects you know affects all kinds of animals. Um, oh, that you know, that, young, that reminds me of a, a a video I saw not too long ago of a a moray eel in a uh, um, in a a giant aquarium um, that was actually it seemed to be uh, a moving there. There was a they were having a party, you know, at this aquarium, and the uh, the moray eel was right up against the glass. The band was close by, and it actually seemed to be you know undulating in tune to uh, what the uh, the jazz band was playing. Hmm. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I believe it. Uh, so so Kevin. Um, have you had any um, physical contacts uh, where you've actually uh, 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 talked to um, talked to these beings, or you, know, you had made a mention of uh, uh, earlier in the program of uh, of, of hybrids? I mean, are, can you tell us a little bit about that? I've uh, I've 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 been able to speak with with two um, two hybrids. Um, um, one for sure that I, you know, that, that, that has, you know, been confirmed that he is a hybrid. It was Michael Lee Hill. And I would, you know, go, I would go check out his website. I believe it's called michaelleehill.org. But he's quite open about, you know, um, what's, you know, what's happening with him and revelations that are, are you know, given to him. Mm -hmm. Um, um, so he's, he's helping me, you know, understand things at a, you know, at a deeper level. Um, um, and then there's another uh, person who I've been in contact with who claims to be an Elohim hybrid, and uh, you know he found out who his real father was when a craft landed when he was 12 years old, and, and met his real father. And you know he's he's himself has been 
you know, to the, he says he's been to the base on the other side of the moon and he's been working with the Galactic Federation for a long time. So, um, you know, and, he, and he's trying to help humanity, um, you know, by um, getting people to be, you know, to try to help people to um, be able to make contact with it, with it, with extraterrestrials and raising, raising consciousness and raising, raising your vibration um, on the planets. So that's what he's, what he's trying to do. And I'm trying to help him on, you know, the opposite side or the other side with, with, with social media. So he's able to get out and, 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 and make contact with people, um, in a, in a bigger way. So I'm, I'm, I'm working with these people and, and trying to, trying to understand more, um, from what they're trying to teach me. Mm-hmm. Well, what about, what about, uh, Chris, uh, Bledsoe? Am I pronouncing his name right? <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Um, oh, I've learned so much from Chris Bledsoe. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had the privilege of, um, you know, um, becoming friends with him and, um, and we've had many long talks and conversations and he's shared so much stuff with me privately. Um, you know, cause a movie's being, you know, made on his story. Right. That's supposed to be coming out this year. And, um, the, the story has not stopped with him. You know, things continues to continue to happen. And he's shared some absolutely incredible things with me that just make, you know, that are going to shake humanity <laughs> to the core, you know, even on a, you know, uh, religiously. Um, you want me to share some of the stuff with you that he's told me? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay. Cause, um, um, it's, it's quite incredible. Um, just so for people to understand who Chris Bledsoe is, he, uh, he's been contacted, uh, since, he's been contacted since 2007. And, um, um, there's a big, a big, um, you know, Warner Brothers is in the process of making a movie, uh, based on his story. So his story will be coming out. But, um, um, he has been in contact mostly with what he calls the, the tall whites. Um, he's also met a couple of grays, but, uh, most of the tall whites is who he deals with. And he, he says they're like of the Nordic race or the same race as Zeus. And they're very tall. They're about seven feet tall. And, um, he's been in contact with them mostly. And, uh, a message was given to him that, you know, that he was supposed to pass on, but he didn't, you know, hung on to it for a long time. Um, and didn't want to, didn't want to share it. Um, but, um, what ended up happening was that, um, 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 he ended up, um, going into like becoming a real recluse because of, uh, people who ridiculed him and mocked him. Um, mm-hmm. and he didn't want to share this message with anybody. And so the, through his upsetness, they came and picked him up and they, they took him and flew him across space and um to meet with someone and he remembers landing on a planet and being in this valley and here in this valley is this uh woman sitting on a throne who's all radiant and, and white and, and silver and um and uh, speaks to him and says you know what well, this message is for you and um you know it's it's your burden to carry but you must share the message and he refers he's referred to her as the shining lady and grant cameron's quite you know quite you know, quite familiar with this as well he's been you know he's 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 been with Chris Bledsoe for a long time. He's gone over to Chris Bledsoe several times, um, so he's he knows what's going on. So I asked Chris, "Who is the Shining Lady?" Because um, he's not the only one who's met the Shining Lady. Sammy mm-hmm. Hager has written about the Shining Lady in his biography, because mm-hmm. apparently she appeared to him in his bedroom and he wrote a song about her. And so I said, "Okay, who is this Shining Lady?" And Chris said to me, "He says Kevin, she is the mother." 
and and she and, and and she and he said she has many names, Mary, Isis. I'm like, my God, he's met the Virgin Mary. <laughs> <laughs> so like, this is crazy. And and Chris says he's he's met angels, he's met light beings. You know, he he refers you know refers to them as angels, um, <clears throat> and some other things about the Bible have been revealed to him as well. You know, the Bible is very real. So, you know, I'm so what, what's the message? What's the message he's been given? I don't know. He hasn't told me. Has he told anybody? I believe he has. I believe he has. Yeah. But um, I, really, I really don't know what the message is. I don't know. Mm-hmm. He hasn't really told me straight out. Yeah. Unfortunately, we've heard that. We've heard that before from uh, uh, contactees who have been given a message that they yeah, have kept exactly. to, they've kept to themselves for one reason or the other, and uh, we're, we're often left wondering. You know, they'll, they'll pass away, and that's it. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's happened many times. Sure has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe yeah. they'll put it. Maybe they'll put it in the movie. Right. Maybe they will. Uh, maybe they will. Well, you'll have to you'll have to keep us updated on that, uh, Kevin. I'd I'd like to know more about that when you learn about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's also shared some other things with me too, like. Uh, you know, people are always wanting to have the smoking gun of evidence. Well, he's got it because um, um, what happened a few months ago was that a a portal opened up on his property, and these beings stepped out. And then Chris, with a bunch of witnesses, they went into the portal, and they have a two-hour taped interview, you know, audio and visual video of this interview with these beings. Really? Have you <laughs> se- have you seen this? I have not seen it, but oh I know gosh. that. I know that he has copies, and I know that the government has copies. The U.S. government has copies, um, and he was reading some of the you know, the, um, the transcript from it um, of what you know of uh, some of the conversation. And one of the first things they asked them was like, "Would you like to go to heaven, or would you like to go to the dark side of the moon?" <laughs> <laughs> and so he ended up choosing. He chose he wanted to go to the other dark side of the moon, and then they were in communication with this craft that was you know they could look up the sky and they saw this huge craft just off to the left side of the moon, and they were you know contacting with it, and the the craft's name was actually Thomas, almost like it had its own life force, like it was like a, a like a alive, and they were talking back and forth with Thomas. And I guess he, they had this two-hour-long interview with this with these extraterrestrials. Hmm. Pretty look, wild. Yeah, I'm gonna have to look that up and see if I can find any more information on that. That's really interesting. Well, uh, gentlemen, unfortunately, we are almost out of time here. So, uh, Kevin, um, I'd like to give you the opportunity to let our listeners know where uh, find out where they can find you know more about you. You got a website where they can uh, buy your CDs. Things like that. Yes. So now, now is your time. Go for it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. You, well, um, I, I strongly suggest you follow me on Facebook, uh, Pyramids on Mars, and you can find all my music at pyramidsonmars.com. Uh, everything is there. You can listen to my, you know, listen to both my CDs uh, directly yeah. off the website. Um, you can purchase the CDs, uh, either you know physical CDs or digital. There's links right there. Just click on the links. Uh, music's all there. There's uh, look, it's a great website actually. It's got uh, tons of um, all my radio interviews and magazine interviews are there. You can just you know, go to one of the pages and click and listen uh, all you want. There's music videos on there, and if you subscribe to my website, um, it gives you the opportunity. Um, you, you'll automatically get three free downloads uh, of songs, so that's uh, great. I also um, every once in a while have uh, promotional. 
uh, giveaways and prizes like T-shirts and and CDs and stuff. So um, you know they got that. I also am releasing very soon in the near future guitar instructional videos that will be teaching my um, my style of guitar playing, which is very much uh, uh, um, how to play more like a violin and a harpsichord uh, on the guitar and my approach. And teaching a lot of the uh, secrets of uh, Ingrid Malmsteen and, and Jimmy, or sorry, and uh, Joe Saturani's techniques. Yeah, um, yeah. So you know, just by subscribing, you're going to get all that stuff. Well, you know, um, I also saw some of your live performances on YouTube. They were very good. Well, thank you, thank you. Uh, and what's what's the name of your uh, your your latest uh, uh, CD? Echo Cosmic. Echo Cosmic. Echo Cosmic. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, well, and uh, when we when we go out of the program here, we're going to go out with Battle for Rome. So, is there any you know, anything you want to say uh, about that real quick before we leave? That song has become a, a huge radio hit. <laughs> it's oh, okay. uh, it's a really great uh, you know it really you know it's it's kind of like the Tom Sawyer for for Rush. Um, in fact, actually, the one of the sounds that's actually used in, in that song is actually uh, the exact same sound from Tom Sawyer, that keyword swell. Um, but the song, was it was inspired by a, a video game called Rise, the Son of Rome. Um, um, so I thought, hey, the song is going to be called Battle of Ro- for Rome, because that's what it reminded me of, was uh, hearing this, you know, this big battle. There you go. All right. Cool. Well, Kevin, thank you very much. We really appreciate you taking your time to be with us tonight on The Outer Edge. Well, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate being on. Yeah, we enjoyed it, man. Yep, that's thank right. You. We'll have to have you uh, back on again when uh, uh, you've got uh, some some more information and uh, some new music for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh-huh. All right. Well, thank you. Stay on the line, Kevin. We'll talk to you after we uh, uh, get off here. But uh, I want to tell our audience, thank you for listening. Uh, this has been The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. I'm Tim Swartz. Mike. Good night, and yep. uh, you, you have too, a great buddy. week. You have a great week. You too, man. You guys right. take care. Take care now.